are very popular and they can be very misleading. Let's take one example, Victoria on ITV. They've done their research and it's accurate about who the people were. Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, Lord Palmerston, you know, you, you couldn't really get that wrong. And it's accurate about events. They've got the Chartists marching on London. It's true, it happened. But it's totally misleading because the characters in it think, speak and behave like people from Britain in the 21st century. There is a way of thinking, speaking and behaving that seems so normal to us that we impose it on Victorians. But Victorians did not think, speak and behave like us. And I think you'll find that's true of many period dramas. There's a way of thinking, speaking and behaving that is normal in 21st century Britain that is quite unlike people at other times in history. But it's so normal to us, we impose it on them and presume that they will like it and so these period dramas can be correct in the details but completely wrong in reality. Why am I saying this? The point I'm trying to make is we are shaped by our society. Far more than we realise, we are shaped by the society that we're in. It's almost unavoidable. And so we are bound to be shaped by this. The big characteristic of our society is... I wonder how you'd finish that. The big characteristic of our society is... Oh, there's lots of answers. But I reckon just about the biggest is this. God is pushed to the side. Our society operates as if there is no God. Or if there is a God, he's just a private belief to be kept at the edges of life, certainly not in public. Or if there is a God, he's just someone to help us when we need some help. He's there to help us when our life isn't going the way we want. He's a means to an end. And and so in schools, they wouldn't think of, in geography, praising God for how he's made the earth. And they wouldn't in schools think of praising God in history for controlling all the events of this world. Would you think of that? Would you expect that? God is pushed to the side. And so Romans is written to put God front and centre. This letter we've been going through for a very long time is all about the gospel, and the goal of that gospel is God's glory. God is to be front and centre. And so this deep and weighty letter had to end with these verses. Verses 25 to 27 really had to end this letter because this is where it's all heading. Verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where it's all going. So as I preach this morning, my aim is to glorify God by provoking you to praise him. That's my aim. If you think to yourself, Well, what practically do you want me to do about it? I've just told you. To praise him. And if that isn't practical enough for you, well, you've just shown you really need these verses. So let's get into these verses. I think they're going to go up on the screen. Is that right? In a structured sort of way. That's to try to help us because verses 25 to 27 are typical Apostle Paul. They're one long sentence. And it's really hard to follow these one long sentences. So that's to try to help us. The the bits vertically in line sort of go together. And I hope as we go through, that will help us follow this long and rather complex 
sentence. One long sentence, I say, but I'm going to split it into two, rather artificially, but into two to help us. First of all, God is glorified by establishing us. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. God is glorified by establishing us. Now, the goal of the gospel is God's glory. Does that make it less good news for us? It's about God's glory. Does that mean it's really not so good for us after all? Well, not at all. You might know John's Gospel, chapter 1, and it begins like this, not right at the beginning, but verse 14. It says about Jesus, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, it's saying God's glory, the display of God's character is grace and truth. Undeserved goodness to sinful humans and revealing God to us, the truth we need for life. And that means God's glory is for our good. It's good news that the goal of the gospel is God's glory. Because one of the ways God is glorified is by establishing us. Now let's think about that word establishing. What does establishing mean? Well, Literally, actually, if you look at verse 25, literally what it actually says is, to him who is able to make you strong. That's a bit easier to understand, isn't it? Make you strong. Or make you firm. Or make you stable. And we need that, don't we? If God is going to make us firm, strong, stable, we need it because life is so uncertain. So uncertain. On the 28th of December... Last year, 2018, a church in London held a Christmas event. That's pretty, not something to comment on, is it? A church holding a Christmas event, that's pretty normal. And at this Christmas event, Megan Franklin, the minister's wife, was present, and someone needed something, and she ran up the stairs in the building, and she fell and cut her knee. That's no big deal, is it? Run up the stairs and fall and cut your knee, just a little cut on the knee. By the way, she was 37 and she was expecting her seventh child. And an infection developed and it made its way to her brain. And nine days later, she died. She fell, cut her knee on the stairs, and nine days later she's dead. Leaving seven children, one of which was born while she was unconscious in the nine days in between, and a husband. Life is so uncertain. We are so fragile. We need a God who can establish us, who can make us strong, firm and stable. And we need it also because of this. We are weak against sin. Now, have you had this experience? You fall for a sin and you say, how could I have done that? I mustn't do it again. And then you do it again. And you try to think of the sin more sensibly. And you persuade yourself of the reasons why you shouldn't do it. And you do it again. And you resolve to yourself, I will not give in again. And you do it again. We are weak, aren't we? You have as much chance of restraining sin by your own strength as you have of restraining a gorilla. Have you seen a gorilla? I was at Twycross Zoo a couple of years ago, and there in the gorillas 
enclosure was what I thought was a statue. It was so big. And a baby gorilla ran and jumped against it and it didn't even shudder. And then it got up and its arms were like tree trunks. Yeah, strong men here. Do you fancy getting in that enclosure and holding down that gorilla? You've got just as much chance of holding down your sin in your own strength. We need a God who can make us strong, firm and stable. How does he do it? Well, look at the verse or look on the screen where it's supposed to be helping us with the structure. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. These verses are bringing the letter of Romans to a suitable end because it's been a letter full of the gospel. And it's a letter that's shown us the gospel is not just starting us out on the Christian life. The gospel is not just persuading us to agree to a set of beliefs. The gospel is not just signing us up to a religion. The gospel is about saving us fully. And that's probably best seen in a chapter many think is the high point of Romans, chapter 8. We could see it in many places, but I'll read you from chapter 8. Maybe the high point of the letter. It tells us, verse 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It's saying those God set his love on, he will save. And that doesn't just mean making them Christians for a while or getting them along to a church in the good years. It means making sure they reach the end goal. And the end goal is glory. The end goal is nothing less than being made like Jesus. That's the sort of establishing the gospel does for us. Now, it's important we take that in because the word establish might be a little unhelpful for you. Because living here in Charnwood, you might think of something like a rock on Beacon Hill. That's established, isn't it? Think of those big rocks on Beacon Hill. They are established. They are not going to get moved. They are stable. They are strong but I doubt you want to be like a rock on Beacon Hill because they're lifeless and dull and they don't do anything. This establishing by God doesn't make us just like a rock. We're just really strong. It gives us joyful life. It gives us active strength. It's stability because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's strength because we're now controlled by the Spirit, not the sinful nature. It's firmness because we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You might recognise all of those were quotes from Romans. So this gospel, remember where it's all heading, verse 27, it's all about the glory of God and it brings glory to God because it's a gospel of complete salvation. It's a gospel that brings glory to God because it takes weak, fragile people whose lives stop just like that and makes them firm and stable and gives them life that lasts forever. That's how it brings glory to God. But we've got to notice something else here. Let's have a look at verse 25 again. Notice, we're established by the gospel, 
But what does it say before that? Now to him who is able. I wonder if you're aware how carefully worded the Bible is. It doesn't say the gospel is able to establish you. Now that wouldn't be right. It doesn't say he is able to establish you, full stop, end of sentence. That wouldn't be right either. It says he is able by my gospel. Carefully worded. The gospel doesn't establish us. God establishes us through the gospel. Now you might say, what's the difference? You're just being picky about words. Well, there is a difference. I'll give you an example. You're on the road and you're oozing blood and your heart has stopped because a car has hit you. And an ambulance comes screeching in to save you. But it's not the ambulance that stops your blood flow or blood loss. It's not the ambulance that gets your heart going. It's not the ambulance that saves you. It's the paramedic. And the ambulance got the paramedic to you. Are you starting to see the picture? The gospel is the ambulance that brings to us the Holy Spirit, who is the paramedic who is able to establish us. The gospel isn't just a set of principles that comes to us and we implement them. It isn't just a new way of thinking that we do and then it helps us resist temptation. It isn't just facts about what God did in the past and we believe them. It is all of those, but it isn't just all of those. It is the vehicle, the ambulance that brings the Holy Spirit to establish us, to make us firm, strong and stable. Hollywell Church, do you see here our responsibility? What does it make our responsibility? If God establishes people through the gospel, what are we to be? Well, aren't we to be the ambulance drivers? Yes? We must drive the ambulance to people, speak the gospel to people, so the Holy Spirit paramedic gets to work in them. Because unless he gets to work in them, they're lying on the road bleeding with the heart stopped. It's interesting in verse 25, it says, my gospel, as if to emphasise there's this human element to it, a human responsibility to get the gospel to people, but then it's God who is able, not us. But we need to drive the ambulance there. Now, again, it's all to his glory, isn't it? That's what it's all about. He's the one who is able. He's the one who has power to take fragile, weak sinners and make us established with a joyful, sin-free life that is forever. God is glorified by establishing people. Let's move on to a second section. God is glorified by Jesus in the Gospel. Verse 25 and into verse 26 now. Now, I've split these apart. God's glorified by establishing us. God's glorified by Jesus in the Gospel. But really, it's all one sentence. The aim is God's glory. God's glory is by establishing us. Establishing us is by the gospel. But what does it mean by the gospel? Well, it means what it says in the next phrase. The proclamation of Jesus. By the way, the word and there in the verse 25 is... um, By my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus, it's not telling you two different things. It's the gospel is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. 
By my gospel means proclaiming Jesus, making him known. Last Wednesday we started Christianity Explored. Those who came, I hope you'll come back. We didn't really get into it properly, did we? And next week we will more properly get into what God's word says. But someone commented, it seems to me it's not really Christianity Explored, it's Christ Explored. It's all about Christ. Well, quite right. Because Christianity is depending on Christ. It isn't a set of principles and we save ourselves by implementing them. It's a person and he saves us as we trust him. So again, Holywell Church, what does that mean our job is? I hope it's obvious. Our job is make him known. Interestingly, the word proclaim there is literally the word preach. And it's the very specific word for someone who, with authority from God, says, this is what God says. No debate. It's true. Our job is to make Jesus known. I like the children's song they sometimes sing at Holiday Bible Club that goes, it has this line, who he is and what he's done makes Jesus number one. Well, that's our job, isn't it? to make known who he is and what he's done makes Jesus number one. Who he is, the one who made everything. What he did, he gave it all up. Gave it all up and became a man to save his enemies. Who he is, power and gentleness, holiness and love, wisdom and humility, terrifying and welcoming. That's who he is and what he's done allowed himself to be nailed, naked to a cross, mocked and left to die for us. Hollywell Church, what's our job? It's pretty simple, really. It's make him known. I didn't say it's easy, but it's simple. Make him known. The Gospel's described in a different way in the next verse. It's just a slight change on it. Oh, sorry, it's not the next verse. It's still verse 25. The revelation of the mystery... The revelation of the mystery. It's another way of saying the same thing. Paul goes in for these verses, in these verses, for saying the same thing repeatedly in different ways. Children in school, it seems, are taught to use adjectives a lot. They are taught, throw all the adjectives you can at things. Uh, Sometimes it's a bit over the top. I saw a child's piece of work and said, I go to swimming lessons where I am taught to swim by my kind, clever helpful, lovely and beautiful swimming teacher. Uh, I wondered what the swimming teacher would think of that description of her. Well, Paul's a bit like this here. He has four different words for revealed. He chooses four completely different words for revealed. And then he snaps in another four completely different words connected with revealed. It's as if he's swallowed a thesaurus or gone to Hollywell School and been taught, throw all the adjectives you can at it. What's he doing? He's emphasising, he's hammering home the way God is glorified. The way people are established is by revealing Jesus. He's saying there in verse 26, Jesus was prophesied. He was pictured in the Old Testament, but now light has burst into the darkness. We live in a new great time, he's saying. The light has burst into the darkness. The Old Testament was like a room with great furniture in it, lovely pictures on the walls, but the lights switched off and the curtains drawn, and he had a job to see it all. 
You could feel your way around and try to work out each item. But the coming of Jesus switched on the lights and revealed it in its splendour. Revealed God's plan in full. That's how God's glorified. Glory means the outward shining of God's inward being. And his glory shines out in Jesus. His glory is shone around the world by proclaiming Jesus. I said Jesus revealed God's plan. What is the plan? Well, let's move on in verse 26. Here's the plan. That so that all nations might believe and obey him. There's the plan. So that all nations might believe and obey him. Where have we got to? The gospel establishes us. Well, God establishes us through the gospel. That gospel involves proclaiming Jesus, revealing God's plan, but here we find it also involves a response. So if anyone here is thinking to themselves, how can I become a Christian? I hope there are some people here thinking that. How can I become a Christian? Then I'll try to be completely clear. I'm telling you about Jesus... Through this, God is making known his good news. And now, you need to do what verse 26 says. Believe. Believe the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe it. And then if you believe it, If you really do believe it, you will go on to obey. It's interesting that it says obey there in verse 26. You see, Romans is known as this great letter of faith alone. It has this great message of God saves people by trusting in Jesus alone. But it began by saying, but the aim is obedience. Chapter 1, verse 5, right back at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, Through Jesus, I've got grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And here at the end he says, The aim is so that all nations might believe and obey God. It's this great letter that said, You can be saved by trusting in Jesus, not by what you do. But at start and finish, it said, and the aim is to get you to be someone who does obey. The plan is God glorified by all nations obeying him. Because God is too great to have people in all nations calling themselves Christians, but Monday to Saturday, you couldn't see it in their lives. God is too great to have a few elite Christians who are really keen on obeying him in every area of life. He's the creator, he's the almighty, he's the king, and all nations should obey him. The word there that we have as nation is actually ethnic group. Every single ethnic group in the world should obey him. There should be no such thing as the Muslim world, or a Hindu nation, or a secular society. Fellow Christians, we shouldn't be able to rest content while there are still those labels around. We claim all ethnic groups for their creator. And so that brings us to verse 27. 
Do you notice, I hope you can see what I'm getting at with that structure on the screen. It started now to him, and then it never finished that phrase. It went into the description of who he is and what he's done, and then it gets back to, oh, now to him, the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. The goal of the gospel is God's glory, and the gospel will bring glory to God forever. Forever, there will be millions of people from every ethnic group enjoying salvation, enjoying life with God, enjoying God himself. And it will all be through Jesus Christ. There's no glory gets to God apart from through Jesus Christ. There's no one gets into heaven apart from through Jesus Christ. They'll enjoy God through Jesus Christ. They've got into heaven through Jesus Christ. They are saved by Jesus Christ. And they're praising God for his glory, which shines on them by the light of the world, who is Jesus Christ. Will you be among them? Let's pray now.